And uh, this morning I want us to look at a little bit of his heart as it is shown to us in this passage in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Uh, let's, let's look at the passage. Uh, I'll read it. And please hear God's word. The Bible says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Understanding God's Word correctly uh, reveals to you the heart of your heavenly Father. More specifically, correctly understanding what the Holy Spirit leads you to pray for pinpoints the will, the desires, the purposes of your Father, the things that are well-pleasing to Him, well-pleasing to His heart. Again, today I want us to look at this passage we've just read, a passage that um, I know for me at least has become very dear uh, to my heart. Um, This is something I regularly pray for you and for the church and I hope you uh, do also. Uh, This prayer, uh, in the context of the book of Ephesians, from a literary standpoint, is dead center in the letter of Ephesians. It's right at the middle of uh, the letter. And uh, and what's central to um, this prayer, the issue that became for Ephesus... Um, the central issue um, for this church, whether it would be influential or whether it would become impotent, whether it would live or die, essentially, uh, whether it would uh, be um, fading or life-giving. The central issue... um, is outlined in this particular prayer. Uh, You can see that from the book of Revelation when Jesus spoke in Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus. I'm sure you remember that passage. Uh, Jesus pointed out that for Ephesus and for you, by extension, for me, by extension, to live and thrive, you must remain glued in your heart to your first love, which of course is Jesus Christ. You must remain glued to Him, daily repenting and daily renewing your love for Jesus and for His people 
is what keeps your lampstand burning. You remember that he told the church of Ephesus that if they didn't repent and turn to their first love, if they didn't remain glued to their first love, he would remove their lampstand. And so what is at the essence of keeping a lampstand burning is having a burning love for Jesus and for his people. And that is what keeps us shining. That is what it keeps any church in a position to be world-transforming, gospel-centered, and making an impact for Jesus Christ, your Master. What is central to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 is the outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of his people. Um, the background of this of this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14-21, the prayer and doxology, the prayer and worship, basically, is obviously the verses that come before it in, in chapters 1-3. through 3. And the outworking of this prayer, the applications, the many applications that flow from this prayer are delineated and outlined within the context of the verses that follow in chapters 4-6. through 6. And so this prayer is right in the center, it's at the hub, it's the hinge on which this letter turns. And, and so to briefly give the backdrop, the background of this prayer, let's just look uh, kind of swiftly here at uh, the preceding chapters, some themes in the preceding chapters. In chapter 1, we are immediately told uh, that grace and peace has come to you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. And so, uh, because that's true of you, because you're recipients of God's grace and recipients of His peace through Jesus Christ, that is why Paul is praying this prayer, because you have been positioned for a particular service. He goes on after that in chapter 1, talking about how the fact that you have been blessed with every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Why is Paul praying this prayer in chapter 3? Because you have been blessed with every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You were chosen to be holy and blameless before God in love. You were predestined to be adopted as His sons. And it says sons. He's not being... Uh, hyper-masculine, he's pointing out the fact that as a son, as an inheritor, as Jesus, the son and the inheritor, as uh, the passage that uh, uh, Elder Waba has been taking us through in Colossians 1 for a period of time, it talks about how Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean he was created. It means that he is the inheritor. He's the, he's the son who owns it all. And God is saying the same thing about his people, that you have been predestined to be adopted in the similar position, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Just like the Son. God sees you as heirs just like his Son. And because of that fact, Paul is praying this prayer in chapter 3. You were graciously redeemed and forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. You were lavished with grace that you now have wisdom and insight to know what is God's grand design. God's grand design is that through 
through the most vivid display of his character. That was seen at Calvary. That was the most vivid display of God's character at the cross of Jesus Christ. Through that cross, through that redeeming work, through that blood that was spilled, that life that was given, that death that was endured, through that solemn, sacred, celebratory moment where God's character is revealed in HD quality to the world. That God is determined through that, Jesus' cross, to reveal His purpose for you. His purpose is that you would be like Jesus Christ. And that you would live under His rule in union with Him and in communion with Him together as His body. And that together you would seek His glory as you seek to glory in His grace. You have been predestined to be an heir. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment who proves to you that you are God's heir until you are glorified in glory. This is why Paul is praying this prayer, because this is true of you. Because God has so changed you and recreated you and postured you in a position so that the outworking of this prayer might flow through your life. Why does Paul pray this prayer in Ephesians 3? Because as it says in chapter 2, you were formerly a child of wrath, but now you have become an object of God's mercy, saved by His grace, created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works. Why is Paul praying this prayer in chapter 3? Because you were brought near to God. You have access to God, according to Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. You're one new man. You're the dwelling place of God. The Spirit of God lives in you right now. That is why Paul is praying this prayer. These realities uh, in, in your life, these realities, these things that are true, have real-time results in your life on a daily basis. God has made you a house of prayer as well as a house of power. And that is why Paul is praying these prayers. In chapter 3, Paul begins chapter 3, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and he interrupts that thought to go into his ministry to the Gentiles and how God had positioned him to bring people in the Gentile world to Christ and to put them in a place where they can be used by God to share Jesus with others. He says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and then he interrupts that thought talking about his ministry the sacred trust that has been given to him. And then he picks up on that same thought in verse 1 of chapter 3, in verse 14, when he begins the prayer. He goes back to it, he repeats himself, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so it is for this reason, he merges together his ministry as an apostle with the purposes of God delineated in the prayer. 
the purpose of God for you, the purpose of God for His people. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Um, Paul talks about how his ministry was given to him so that, so that you Gentiles might know Jesus Christ. And that through the Gospel uh, coming through you, others might know Jesus Christ. And others might know the power of the Gospel as, it, as its outworking is displayed in your changed life. Um, in view of what Paul says in chapters 1-3, through three, uh, he humbles himself before the Father. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. You and I also, when we consider what God the Father has done through Jesus Christ His Son by His Spirit, should also humbly seek your Father's will and humbly seek to worship Him as this, as this doxology concludes the prayer in verses 20, or verses, yeah, 20 and 21. And so Paul, in view of the great grand plan of redemption through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit applied by Him, Paul humbles himself and prays. And, and so, wherever you are, whatever what's going on in your life, the most central thing of all is what God has done through His Son by His Spirit for His name. There's nothing more central, there's nothing more important than that. What God has done through His Son by His Spirit for His glory. That's in a category by itself. And because that's true of you, it, it calls us to humble ourselves and say, okay, God, you did that. That's the best thing. That's the greatest thing. There's no topping that. Now, because of that, what do you want from me? That's the posture. That's the position. That's the attitude that we should all have wherever you are, whatever's going on. You may remember and you may recall, we looked at it many times in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, when Moses heard God proclaim his name, proclaim the gospel to him, his first response was to immediately fall down before God and worship. And then to beseech God to do the very things through His people that He just got finished promising. God said that He was, he was merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, transgression, and sin, but who will no minds, by no means clear the guilty. And when God got finished saying that, Moses immediately fell down in worship and said, Oh God, pardon our iniquity. Take us as your possession. And go with us. That was his immediate response. And so when Paul gets, 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 gets through calculating what God has done in Christ Jesus, he has the same posture. Remember Isaiah? When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne in the train of his robe, filled the temple, and the angels and seraphim were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He said, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. And then the angel came with, with a coal and touched his lips and says, This has touched your lips, your iniquity is atoned for. And what was his response in view of that grace? Here I am, Lord, send me. And so it is that posture that we have to have. Even the, even the Apostle Paul himself on the road to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse by a great light, and Jesus spoke to him. 
And we find in the book of Acts chapter 9, if you continue to read, that God tells Ananias, I want you to go and anoint a man named Paul because he's praying. He's been praying since I met him. He's wondering what on earth is going on. And he wants to know what he's supposed to do. And as soon as he received his sight by Ananias laying his hands on him and was baptized, he immediately went in and started to proclaim the gospel of God. And so our our position is no different. Paul says that the Father, in in chapter 3, verse verse, verse 14, the Father from whom, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. What's he saying? When Adam was created, God commissioned Adam to name all of the animals in the animal kingdom. And that was a way in which God demonstrated that Adam had authority and dominion over all of the animal kingdom. He was in charge. He's been given dominion. He's been given authority. And what Paul is saying by by the same token in this passage is he's saying that when, when when he's coming to the Father to pray, when you go to your Father in prayer, you are talking to someone from whom every family in heaven and earth has been named. The whole creation has been named by him. He has sovereign authority and power and absolute control over everything in the universe. And not only that, he is, he is a God who is full of goodness and generosity. You are not coming to a stingy God. You are not coming to a weak God. And so when you and I pray, we should pray for big things. We should pray for things that are way out of the scope of our imagination and thought processes. We should not filter our prayers through our weak understanding and our feeble insights. But we should should filter our prayers through the bigness and greatness of God. God made the whole universe. He didn't break a sweat when He did it. He just started talking. And things just started appearing perfect, good, and very good. Everything was wonderful. Everything was marvelous. And all God did was started talking. We come to a big God. We come to a God who cannot be... uh, There is no dimension of Him. He's He's infinite. We come to a God who's not only infinite, but a God who is generous. He has blessed us with every single spiritual blessing possible. And not only that, He has given us Himself. He has given us Jesus. And so we pray to one who has absolute control, absolute authority, complete wisdom, knowledge, and ability to execute His will. And no one and nothing can stop God from doing what He wants. Jesus said, I will build My church. And the gates of Hades will not stand a chance. They won't prevail. Now when you consider the fact that you, that your Father in Heaven has everything and everyone under His control, what do you ask for when you pray? What is central to your heart when you cry out to God? When God appeared to Solomon and said, ask what I shall give you, he could have asked for anything. But Solomon asked for wisdom. He said, let your word now be fulfilled. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this great people of yours? Solomon could ask for anything, but he asked for wisdom. He asked, Lord, teach me how to navigate in this world in relation to your people. Teach me how to do that. And because he asked for that, God gave him that and gave him so much more. Unfortunately, he flipped the thing around at the end of his life. And that's a sad tale. 
and we can look at that and learn from that. He could have asked for anything, but at the same time, God is not your genie, right? You don't rub a little lantern and God comes out and says, okay, I'll give you three wishes. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's about him, it's about what he wants. Um, I have to constantly remind myself on a regular basis, Brian, this is not about you. Life is not about you. It never was about you. It never will be about you. Life has always been and forevermore will be about God and what He wants. Um, the Lord asked Ahaz. He told Ahaz when Ahaz was trusting in human powers, when he was giving tribute to Assyria for security. Protect me, Assyria. Looking to man. Trusting in man. When Ahaz was doing that, in the midst of his sin, not trusting in God. God came to him and said, Ahaz, ask me for something. Ask me for a sign. Make it as, make it as, make it as high as heaven and as deep as Sheol. Make it as big as you want it to be. Just ask me for a sign. And Ahaz, hypocritically, oh, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. That's, that's not being spiritual. And God rebuked him. When God asked you to ask for a sign, you ask for a sign. And so, so God said, I'll give you, I'll give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. I'll give you the sign of Emmanuel. That's the sign I'll give you, that I am with you. I am with my people. I'm always with my people. Wherever they go, whatever they go through, I am with them. Um, sometimes it doesn't seem like God is, but that's not the point. What seems like it. God didn't say in the Bible, believe what it seems like is. He said, believe what I've said. And God says, Emmanuel. That's what he said to Ahaz, Emmanuel, God is with you. He's with his people. When they go through, he's with them. And he's with you to do not evil, but to do good. He's with you to affirm to you his steadfast love to you in Christ Jesus that never, ever ends. When Paul prays in Ephesians 3, he considers all, all of the riches, as it says, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 16, according to the riches of His glory. According to the riches of God's glory. God's got all kinds of riches in glory. All kinds of riches. When you pray and consider all the riches at God's disposal, what do you ask for? What do you want most from your fathers in heaven? Paul asks that you would be that you would be by these riches in glory, strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. God could give you virtually anything, but what do you want from God? And what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the thing that we should be seeking from God in light of the Gospel, in light of what He's done, is that we would be strengthened by power, in his, by His Spirit in our inner being that inwardly we would be empowered by the Spirit. That's what we should want. That's what we should need. That's what we need. That's what we should desire. That's what we should seek our Father for in light of the greatest thing He's ever done. Is that, God, I want to be full of the power of the Spirit of God. And, and that, that's for a reason. As you know, you know this prayer. Paul asks that we be spiritually powerful for a reason. You know, Simon the magician offered the apostles money to have power to lay his hands on people 
and receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter rebuked him and said he was a child of the devil for asking such a thing. Because God gives the Spirit freely. It's a gift. He's a gift. We read that in the passage. Uh, Jason read that for us today in, in Luke chapter 11. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is not stingy. He will give you the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get intellectual and theologize this thing. Well, I, I thought I had the Holy Spirit. Why should I ask for it? Just ask for the Holy Spirit. Don't try to intellectualize things. Jesus had the Holy Spirit too, didn't He? But at His baptism, He got the Holy Spirit, didn't He? Yes, the Spirit came down and rested on Him. I thought He had the Holy Spirit. Well, of course He had the Holy Spirit. It was a sign from heaven. God was anointing him and empowering him for a particular service. That's the, that's, that's the sum of what, 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 what David says. That prayer gets everybody messed up. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Oh, David, don't pray that. It's not theologically correct. It is theologically correct. God put the Spirit on Saul and took the Spirit away from Saul in, 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 this, in the sense that he could no longer rule Israel. And so, so David, after his sin with Bathsheba, after his sin with Uriah, he said, Lord, don't let me go out like that. Give me the Holy Spirit. Let your Spirit still use me. That's, what, that's the sense of that. And it's not only that, but he's, he's actually saying, and saying that prayer, I don't deserve the Spirit of God. Please don't take Him away. I know I don't deserve Him. But restore to me the joy of your salvation. Joy comes from the Spirit of God. And so, so don't try to intellectualize things. Ask God to fill you with the power of the Spirit of God. And perhaps that is the central point. Yes, you have the Spirit of God. As a child of God, He dwells inside of you. He never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. But we need to be constantly filled with the Spirit of God because, as one brother said, we leak constantly. We're always leaking. And we need to be filled up. When you drive your car so many miles, unless you have a Tesla, that's how you say it, right? Um, you need to fill it up with gas. Even a Tesla, you need to plug it in. Things need to be recharged. Things need to be filled up. We need to be constantly filled with the Spirit of God. We need His power. And we need to pray that we will be empowered by the Spirit of God for God's glory. Those three words truly reveal our motives. Most of us like power. I've met very few people who don't like power. In their own particular way, everybody likes power. When you're running late, you might like, like we were doing today, we would like the power to turn the clock back. <laughs> but you can't do that, can you? People tell you, you can put oil of a lay on and turn the clock back. No, you can't. When you put oil of a lay on and put all that stuff on your face, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying don't, I'm just saying understand what's happening. You're not turning the clock back. If you were 30, you're still 30, okay? Because if you put too much on and you really turn the clock back, you'd be a little baby, wouldn't you? These are meant to be little humorous inserts. I didn't even think to say this. This just came up at the moment. It's not, I can show you my notes. It's not there. Um, when, uh, when, 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 when people are saying things that are annoying to you, 
you might want the power to temporarily prevent them from speaking. Wouldn't that be nice? People come railing at you and you just kind of shut them right off. It's like a remote. (laughs) Don't you wish you had a remote sometimes for people? Some of you right now may want a remote for me. Remember Darth Vader? He could cut off someone's breathing if you disagreed with him. He'd just go like that and you When I was young, maybe you too, we couldn't wait to watch Superman, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Um, Maybe you have more noble objectives. Maybe you want more peace in the world. Not Superman, but more peace. More godliness, more true love. Well, Paul teaches in this prayer that the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to you for a particular purpose. Enough with the build-up. Paul wants the power of the Spirit in you so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith and that you be rooted and grounded in love. Paul says that in light of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done, the thing that you and I should be seeking, the thing that you and I need most is for Jesus dwelling in our hearts by faith. Ruling in our hearts and enabling us to love one another. That's what it means, rooted and grounded in love. It's talking about rooted and grounded in love for God's people. That there would be constant growth in our life in loving one another. I don't know anyone, and I don't even need to know everyone, but I know, I know that no one in the world has reached the plateau in loving other people. We all need to grow in loving one another. And Paul says that's what he prays for. That's the purpose of the prayer. That's the purpose of the Spirit of God within us, empowering us, is so that Christ would rule and dwell in our hearts and teach us what it means to love one another. Because when you do love one another, something happens. Something happens, and it's talked about here, that when we grow in our love for one another, we we have strength at that point, to comprehend the love of Christ, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, the love of Jesus Christ. You cannot know the depth, the length, the length, the breadth, the width of the love of Christ without loving his people. You cannot have it both ways. You, you, you grow in, the, in your knowledge of Christ's love for you as you grow in your love for one another. And it's like a circle. It's a circle of love. It goes back and forth. As you grow in your knowledge of Christ's love for you, it enables you to love other people more. And as you love other people more, you grow in your understanding of Christ's love for you. And it keeps working back and forth that way. And that's the rhythm in the church that's supposed to be maintained. That's the thing we're supposed to seek most of all in light of the gospel, is that we will be empowered by the Spirit, dwelt, indwelt by Jesus Christ, growing in love for one another, growing in our understanding and being strengthened by our knowledge of God's love, Christ's love for us, a knowledge that we can never get to the bottom of. You can never get to the bottom and say, okay, now I see the full extent of Christ's love. You will never see the full extent of Christ's love. Maybe in glory you'll see, well, definitely you'll see more, but we'll know then as we have been known. But in this life, you'll never get to the bottom of Jesus' love. There's always room for growth. Even Jesus prayed the same thing. Uh, the, way we, the way we 
the way we arrive at this love for one another and growth in love for Jesus. Jesus prayed for this in John 17, 26. Uh, this is what he says there in his own prayer to the Father for his people. Paul is here praying for the saints, and Jesus is over there praying for, for his disciples. And this is what he says uh, regarding the same theme. In John 17, someone's not happy. In John 17, verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. He has to continue to make it known, and here's the reason, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So that Christ would dwell in us and that the love of the Father would dwell in us, he continues to make his name known to us. And so the gospel is what is, is the name of God. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger. You know that, that passage. It's the name of the Lord. It's the, it's the being of God. As we grow in knowing his name, our love for God grows. And Jesus says he's, he's revealing that to us so that he would dwell in us and so that God's love would dwell in us. Our love for one another also has a goal, as we've just talked about, in loving, loving Jesus and knowing his love. Uh, Paul concludes this prayer with worship, with doxology. And, and, and the goal of, of Jesus' love uh, being further understood by us is so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That the very image of God would be restored in us. That we'd be full of God, brimming over with God. That when you interact with people, people would get God. Just from your, without you even saying a word, but also saying a word. But they would get it from your personality. You're not like other people. You don't talk like other people. You don't walk like other people. Yeah, sometimes you do. But then you repent. You go back to God. You confess your sin. He renews you. He renews your mind. And he takes you a, a step further in the process of sanctification. And people can see those changes occurring in your life over time. You can't grow a watermelon overnight. It takes time. It takes time to grow a baby. It takes time to grow up into a mature adult. But people can see those changes, those processes taking place in your life, and hopefully in my life as well. And so that's the goal of this prayer, is that you, be just, you just be brimming over with God himself, the triune God, would just be reflected in your life. And the conclusion is a doxology now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know, we hear this a lot, and, and what, what does that mean? Um, in the context, the, 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 the abundant, far, far more abundant beyond ability of God at work within you, again, is not for, it's not for me, it's not for you, it's for him. It's, it's so that he would get the glory in you, the church, so that he would get the glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations eternally. And, and what on earth does that mean? Well, well that, that is delineated in chapter 4 through 6. Why is God far more abundantly powerful at work in you? For what purpose is he doing that? He's doing it so that, chapter 4, there's a therefore there for a reason. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. You see how he picks up on chapter 3, verse 1? 
chapter 3, verse 14, and now chapter 4, verse 1. He brings it all together. He says, this is why God is far more abundantly beyond powerful in your life within you. It's so that you might be humble. You might be gentle. You might be patient. You might bear with one another in love. You might be united. You might be growing to be like Jesus. You might be, chapter 4, verse 17, putting down sin in your life, repenting on a daily basis, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, that you might be an imitator of God, chapter 5, verse 1, that you might grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is and become like him, that you would not be sexually immoral, that you would not be impure, that you would be thankful, that you would not be a coveter. That's why he's that powerful. That's why he's far more abundantly beyond your imagination, beyond what you could ask for, powerful in you, is so that you would be like Jesus. That's why, that's how the power works in you. It's so that in your marriage, you would be a portrait of Jesus Christ. This marriage passage is the most sustained in the, in the letter. Uh, there's no put off in this passage. It's all put on, put on. Be like Jesus, be like the church. Love your wife, submit to your husband. All of that is the most sustained imperative in the, in the book. So that children would be obedient to their parents and husbands would, and, and, and fathers would love their children and train them right. And that you'd be obedient on your job. This is why he's at work in you. Because all of this life characteristics and relational characteristics in marriage between father and, 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 and son and daughter, between husband and wife, all of these things are, are, are meant to reflect the being of God to the world around you. So that in chapter 6, the next longest sustained imperative in the, in the book, that you might be on a mission with God, armed and dangerous to the kingdom of darkness, that you might be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and putting on the full armor of God, and you might run this race along with God in partnership with him and work along with him and see his kingdom extending through you through the simple act of loving one another because of the love he has for you. Love is powerful. Love never fails. God is love. Love isn't God, but God is love. And to have him in you powerfully working, his, think about it this way. I mean, you look at the cross of Calvary, look at the major impact it has had on the world. I mean, if you go back through history and, talk, and, and read books like The Rise of Christianity and The Fruit of Christianity, yeah, this world is not perfect. But you imagine what it would have been if Christ had never come and died and rose again. It would literally be hell on earth. People think they have that now. They have no idea what it would be like if Jesus never died. There are all kinds of blessings and benefits that have flowed across this earth because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the people who know that reality and live in light of that reality and let that reality work its fruit in you, we'll see all kinds of transforming changes come in this world, according to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 11 through 13. The word of God never returns to him void, but accomplishes the purpose for which he sent and succeeds in the thing for which he had given it, and it brings about transformation, a brand new creation. That's what it brings about. And so God's word is powerful. You are a brand new creation. You are a powerhouse. Regardless of how you feel about yourself, that is who you are. And so let your heart be daily encouraged uh, by the reality of the gospel. Let your heart persevere in loving Christ and loving his church 
and watching and seeing what God will do through your, your, your daily transformed character and, and watch him work powerfully, doing things beyond what you could possibly think, beyond what you could possibly imagine, blowing you away with how he's at work in your changed character to bring about his kingdom. We serve a wonderful God. We serve a powerful God. And he is able to do by his power immeasurably more than anything we ask or possibly imagine. Pursue your heavenly Father's heart on a daily basis and never give up. When you fall on your face and you sin, all right, we all do. Get back up and repent. Confess that sin. Go to the cross and start off again. Don't ever let Satan keep you down. Uh, let, let's pray. Let's pray our uh, prayer of confession. Uh, together, um, and then we will um, pray privately the sins that God has brought to mind that we need to repent, and then I'll close with prayer and the words of encouragement.